Beaver Nation, it's time to get inside the huddle with the Damn Podcast. The Damn Podcast is your weekly ticket to Oregon State football and recruiting news. Here's your host of the Damn Podcast, BeaverBlitz.com publisher, Angie Machado. Welcome into another episode of the Damn Podcast. I'm your host, Angie Machado, and with me is our fearless beat writer, Carter Baines, who's had a rough, rough week since our last uh, recording last week. You've had a cold. You had to have a wisdom teeth, tooth pulled. It's been rough. How are you doing now, Carter? Yeah, I'm on the recovery train, though, uh, getting better on both fronts. So, um, you know, hopefully I'll be good to go by this weekend for the, uh, the football game. Okay, so dedication, everyone. Um, I, you guys got to know how dedicated Carter is. And Amy was the same way. But Carter went up to Portland Friday. Right before the Beaver game, had a wisdom teeth pulled, texts me and says, I should be good to be at the game. Dedication right there. He shows up and works the game after having his wisdom teeth pulled. So I'm totally impressed by your dedication to Beaver Nation. Yeah, I mean, I love football, so I wouldn't miss it for the world. Well, let's talk. We're going to jump right in. I'm going to uh, preview the show here a little bit just to give you guys kind of an update um, where we're going today and uh, kind of keep me on a- accountable because we know I can kind of go off on tangents. So we're going to talk a little bit of the hoops game last night, the PK Invitational, where the Beavers took on Oklahoma in a loss. We'll talk a little bit of signing day. This is Olympic sports signing day today, uh, Wednesday, and uh, so that means baseball, basketball, soccer, all the Olympic sports will be having their signing day today. Uh, we can talk some transfers. So the big news today is Isaiah Smalls, the tight end from L.A. Dorsey, has entered the transfer portal, and yesterday, safety Jeffrey Manning entered the transfer portal. So we will talk a little bit about that, and you know what does that mean for Oregon State? What does that mean for the future? We'll talk about UW, as painful as that might be. We'll talk a little senior day and preview ASU. And then we're going to jump into quick hits, and we might have a random topic here at some point. You know, we, we always kind of, I don't know, I always kind of get off topic and talk some kind of yummy treat and... I don't know what Carter might want for press box treat this weekend, but uh, we have to think about that. But last home game. But let's talk first about the men's basketball game, Carter. I know you were watching Beavs up at the Moda Center, lost to Oklahoma. The part I saw before I fell asleep was the fact that the Beavers were having a really hard time hitting any open shots. What is your big takeaway from this loss? Yeah, you know, I think it was a really even matchup uh, between the two sides. I think... Um, you know, Oregon State's reaching this point um, under Coach Tinkle where they've got the talent to compete with these established programs. We saw them beat Iowa State this last weekend and then really competing with Oklahoma outside of a, about a 10-minute stretch there where they just couldn't hit anything. But, um, no, I, I mean, I was impressed all around with the fact that they were able to um, come back and, you know, make it a game after being down 20. But, now, you just can't afford to miss that many open shots and that many shots in the paint, um, you know, layups that, you know, were lightly contested, even weren't falling. So, you know, I think if if Oregon State makes a few more of those shots that they normally do make, uh, this is, it's a much different game and they might come away with a win. Yeah, I mean, it was a late game, too. It was a late start. It was supposed to start at eight, but the Oregon Memphis game went long. So I think they didn't tip off until about 840, 845. Um, did. You know, was Oregon State sluggish, or do you just think it was um, just not their night? No, I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily say they were sluggish, but it just seemed like Oklahoma was playing with this 
this little bit of an edge in the energy category that um, the Beavers, you know, you know, we've seen them play with that before, um, and they just didn't have it last night. And I think Oklahoma beat them to some loose balls, and um, they out-rebounded them by five. And so, you know, the intangibles there for sure were uh, in Oklahoma's favor. I don't know if that has to do with an 845 tip, but, I mean, the uh, the energy of the crowd, too, at least on TV, you know, I, I didn't drive up from Corvallis for for such a late game, but on TV, it seemed like it was kind of dead in there. So I don't know if that played a factor, but yeah, just all around a a much different game than we saw uh, on Saturday against Iowa state. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's still a good, a a good chance for the beefs though, to play some good competition uh, heading into, you know, this off or this uh, preseason preseason stuff. And you were at the, the Iowa state game too. And, Talk a little bit about that game, the energy and, and just how big a win that was for the program. Yeah, I mean, they pulled about 6,500 people into Gill on Saturday for an uh, early afternoon, mid-afternoon game. And, you know, that's something that you don't really see in non-conference, at least at Oregon State. Um, but no, it was a, a big-time opponent that came in. And I mean, that was a huge, huge win for this program because that's the kind of game that separates you uh, from the rest when you're on the bubble there. Cause you know, I, I see Oregon state at the end of the year being, I don't want to say necessarily one of the last four in, but um, you know, they have the, I, I think it's a tournament team, but I think it's going to be close. And that's the kind of win that separates you from um, those teams that are, you know, at the top of the NIT. Yeah. Yeah. So talk a little bit. I know this has been a, a, a topic in the lodge at Beaver Blitz, but a, the improvement of Zach Reichel, especially defensively. But talk about, there's some people in the, in the lodge anyway that think he might be getting too many minutes. You know, what are your thoughts on, on Reichel right now? Yeah, so he, he played 31 minutes last night, gets 10 points, four rebounds. Um, Jay Billis and Dan Schulman, you know, all game long, were just talking about his, his energy, um, yeah, how he's all over the place and that he's, um, he's really improved. And I, I completely agree. He looks like a completely different player than last year. I agree. But do you think just, that warrants the 31 minutes? Yeah. Yeah, because I would say he was one of the top five players on the floor for Oregon State last night. And, um, you know, Tinkle's shown that he's going to give the best players, uh, you know, kind of a, a boatload of minutes. Yeah. Um, we, yeah. See, we see that with, obviously, with Tinkle, uh, with Trace Tinkle. Um, Ethan Thompson, you know, 34 minutes. So, yeah, you know, those those top players are they're really only going to sit for I don't know maybe one or two really short stints throughout the game, and I think Reichel is um, really close to reaching that kind of that tier of players on the roster. Got it, got it. Well, let's let's transition into signing day. So this is you know Wednesday uh, signing day for the Olympic sports. Heavy baseball right now um, with with baseball adding. I, I think the standout player right now uh, to join the the Oregon State baseball team is Mick Abel, the the right handed pitcher out of Jesuit. He is by you know everything I've read a, a top first round draft pick out of high school. So that'll be one that'll be interesting to see if the Beavers can hang on to him because I don't know about you Carter, but if I'm he's the number four high school prospect right now by baseball America, but here's a high school kid that's expected to be a first round draft picked. Would you be super surprised to see him in a, in a Beaver uniform? Well, I think Oregon state offers something um, to these highly rated prospects that, um, 
you know, it's, it's really attractive. They can point to Adley Rutschman, Nick Madrigal, and say, look at how these guys improve their draft stock by playing here for three years. Yeah, you know, and that's yeah. something that, um, you know, Mitch Canham, as, as a former player, he can kind of attest to that too. Just, um, you know, kind of the experience of, of playing at Oregon State rather than just going to the minor leagues. I mean, he was a minor league coach himself. Maybe he uh, spins it a little bit that the minors aren't um, as glamorous as it might seem. And, you know, you might not make this quick run to the MLB. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot that Oregon State can point to to say, hey, look, if you come here, your odds of, um, you know, having the career you want down the road are much, much higher. Yeah, yeah. But if you're top, if you're going to, you know, have a seven-figure signing bonus, that might be tough to pick to, to pass up. Oh, absolutely. I mean. Especially as a pitcher, right? I mean, that's, you know, you're one Tommy John away from having to sit for a year or two. So um, perfect game actually ranks Oregon State's class right now as 52 in the country. So, you know, not as strong as what we would have seen, you know, in the past under, under Coach Casey. But, you know, what are your expectations? Do you think this is something Canham and, and Dorman will, and Bailey will be able to uh, increase over the next several years, the rankings? Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily know if these recruiting rankings um, are necessarily the best indicator of um, the talent level just in terms of, you know, Oregon State in the past has just been so good at developing what they have. Um, and they've been helped with some, you know, outstanding recruiting classes too. But, um, you know, the, the player development is something that they really pride themselves on. And, you know, maybe you lose a little bit of that with Nate Yeski leaving. Um, but, I mean, I don't know. They, it's still one of the best coaching staffs in the country. And I think um, regardless of of the uh, rankings of the players that come in, I think they're going to turn them into some, some stars for sure. Definitely. Definitely. And then the other big one, I know a lot of folks will be watching is on the women's basketball front where Sasha Goforth has actually already signed um, one of the top 10 players in the country. And then they're expecting Savannah Samuel to sign as well. So um, those are two that we're watching. Like I said, uh, Sasha Goforth has already signed out of Arkansas and, uh, Samuel we're expecting to sign here later in the day. So, um, you know, some big, big stuff going on for some of those other sports. Soccer will be having signees, softball, baseball, soccer, I already mentioned soccer, gymnastics. So all those Olympic sports will have, um, be announcing signees. We'll be updating that in the Lodge at Beaver Blitz for those of you that are interested in that. And it's just kind of a good warm up to our big signing day that's coming up next month, exactly a month from now. Um, with the football early signing period. So um, that's where things get crazy for Beaver Blitz. So stay tuned for that. But let's talk about football a little bit because it's been a, it's been a wild week um, as far as this, the seismic shifts we've seen in recruiting with the transfer portal. So last Thursday, after you and I had taped the damn podcast, Oregon State announced the transfer of former four-star defensive end Charles Moore he originally signed in February with Auburn, enrolled at Auburn in May and spent the summer there and the start of the season and then transferred to Oregon State. Huge. Uh, number 69th ranked overall player in the country. Big time player. He actually would have checked in number four as the fourth highest ranked player in the last 20 years at Oregon State um, behind guys like Isaac Samalo, Derek Anderson and Steven Jackson. So um, a big time pickup for Oregon State but then the past two days we've seen safety Jeffrey Manning 
and tight end Isaiah uh, Smalls actually in, leave Oregon State and enter the enter the portal. What are your thoughts on on the whole transfer portal and and then those guys leaving? That's definitely a two way street. Um, you know, with Oregon State under Smith under Coach Smith has done an incredible job of bringing in guys that uh, can contribute right away and fill kind of the holes on the roster. But then at the same time, you know, you get that attrition um, and. I mean, maybe that's part of uh, switching into a new coaching staff. And, you know, these guys would have left regardless of um, you know, the players coming in, whether it be recruits or JUCO guys or transfers. So, you know, I don't know if necessarily um, the, the transfers that Smith has brought in has led directly to uh, these other guys leaving. But, um, you know, I mean, it happens. It's it's the nature of college football now. Um you know, guys are always looking for better opportunities and you can't blame them because, uh, you know, what would you do in that situation where, you know, you, you kind of get buried on the depth chart, um, you know, and another team would be able to use your talents uh, a little bit better. Yeah, exactly. And, and first, I just want to kind of say just I wish the best to both um, Jeffrey and Isaiah, both amazing young men that I, I got to, you know, cover in their last part of their high school careers and and then cover them as they came to Oregon State, great representatives of Oregon State. I think Isaiah Smalls is one of the best peer recruiters we've had in a couple years as far as helping on social media and hosting players when they when they came to visit. So, um, you know, great young men. But this transfer portal, is, it is, like you said, it's a two-way street. Oregon State's looking to get better and bring in higher levels of talent. And then that also means that you might lose some guys that aren't seeing the playing time in the minutes that um, – that they hope to have. So um, best of luck to those guys. And, you know, it also opens the door now for either taking a couple more players in the 2020 class, or I actually see this being more maybe working in that transfer portal a little deeper. Um, Under Smith, I think we do see the staff hold on to one or two spots kind of at all times to uh, keep that door open for, you know, if a a Devin Williams or a, a Charles Moore, enters the portal you want to be ready to go so um it's just kind of the nature of the beast right now but i I definitely won't be surprised if you know oregon state kind of becomes that transfer portal you because they they've got a a big influx of talent coming in based on that they're also hitting the juco's hard i mean what carter if you had your your pick would you go juco heavy would you go transfer heavy or a little bit of both you know it's an interesting decision because you know a lot of the time you ask, well, why is this kid transferring from a school? Is it because, you know, he's having a hard time committing or is it because he's not getting playing time or, you know, did he just not pan out um, the way everybody thought? Uh, So I I think there's a lot more question marks if you go the transfer route. But, I mean, I fully trust Smith and his staff bringing in um, the guys that they brought in. I think, you know, they wouldn't go after these kids if they didn't think they would be a perfect fit for the program. Okay, so Carter, you know, you and I were both, as I, I said earlier, we were both at the Washington game. Did not go how, I don't think either one of us actually predicted that. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts about Washington and, and the inefficiency of the offense and then the, the play of the defense? No, I mean, it, it definitely didn't go, I think, the way anybody really thought it would. Um, in our staff picks, I said Washington would win by 10, but I had both teams scoring about 30 more points than they did. So yeah, yeah. Um, it, it was just a really bizarre game all around. Uh, 
you know, the defenses were just, I mean, they were lights out. And, uh, you know, maybe I expected Washington to play that well on defense, but definitely not Oregon State. And I, I don't think I expected Oregon State's offense to flounder as much as it did against uh, Washington's defense. So, uh, I mean, can we just like, the second half for Oregon State was just, it was abysmal, right? Like, that was probably the never worst football they played all year. Yeah, I've never seen an offense that bad. No, eight yards, <laughs> zero first downs in a half. In, in an entire half. And this was, I mean, you and I kind of looked at each other after half, and then when, when uh, Jaden Grant scored the pick six, it was 13-7. to seven. Oregon State was still in it. They just couldn't make anything happen. Yeah, no, I mean, it was really remarkable that they were literally one play away from taking the lead in that game. I, it was just, it was an ugly game all around. Um, but, I mean, credit to Oregon State for putting themselves in a situation where they realistically could have gone in and uh, pulled off an upset against Washington, who they haven't beat in how many years? Six, seven? Yeah, I think it's seven. No, I... And so I, I made reference that that was the worst offensive performance I've seen in a long time. That was actually, and also that was one of the best defensive performances I've seen by the Beavers in a long time. Yeah, no, even if you, you look back to a game like, uh, I don't know, against Cal Poly or something, you expect Oregon State's defense to you know, hold them to one touchdown for an entire game or something. You don't expect them to hold Washington, a prolific offense led by a future NFL quarterback in Jake Cadiz, and you don't expect them to to limit them to 19 points. Um, you know, I, I don't have the the total yardage numbers pulled up, but you know, Washington really wasn't moving the ball all that efficiently. Um, you know, and Oregon State forced some three and outs, a bunch of punts too. So, no, de- definitely give the defense credit because you know, I haven't seen that kind of showing from an Oregon State defense against that caliber of an opponent in a long time. Yeah, and I guess maybe that's how I should have the best defensive performance for a good good offense. But um, where do they go from here? You know, they're pre- preparing for ASU. Do you see this as a flush, flush and go? I mean, how do you go from the offensive output that they had against Arizona, which granted, Arizona is not the defensive juggernaut that Washington is, but how do you go from that to what we saw against Washington? And then, you know, what are we going to see this week? Uh, well, Coach Lindgren mentioned in his uh, media availability yesterday that, you know, th- they really took a, a really hard look at the tape. Um, and, you know, obviously they analyze the film from every game. But, you know, this staff is really dedicated to finding ways they can improve week in and week out. And, you know, I think they're going to pick apart that game, figure out what did and didn't work. And, I mean, let's be honest, almost nothing worked. So, they're they're going to determine why these things didn't go, um, you know, how they expected. They're going to look at ways that they can expose Arizona State's defense, with defense, which I think there are a lot of ways they can do that because, well, Arizona State has a pretty elite run defense. You know, they give up a lot of yards through the air, and that kind of, um, I think, translates well to a bounce-back game for Luton and the receivers. Yeah, so I, you know, having that Friday night game was awesome because, I don't know about you, you were a college kid, so you probably did homework and like went out and, and enjoyed the day. But I watched a lot of football on Saturday. So I watched ASU and Washington State in particular. And where I might have said they might have been tough a week ago, after watching them this past weekend, I'm like, huh, well, 
those are both potential wins for the Beavers. Um, I, I could see Oregon State, like you said, the receivers and Luton putting up some big numbers. What do you want to see this? I mean, I know we all want to see like 500 yards and every everybody having a huge game, but what would make you happy heading into that Washington State game? You know, let's say if the Beavers are able to pull off the win against ASU. Well, it starts with a win against Arizona State, obviously. And in order to do that, I think the defense has to come out and, um, you know, they could probably get away with maybe playing a little less um, dominant than they did on Friday. But, you know, I think you're going to have to see a similar performance where all three position groups are um, firing on all cylinders. Let's talk about just a quick side note here. Let's talk about the secondary. Um, yeah. I mean, that was definitely their best game of the year. Um, Sean Wright and Jaden Graham, both with interceptions. I believe two turnovers is the highest total yeah, uh, for Oregon right, State's defense season. this year. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, so you're going to have to see all three groups, um, you know, play at a, a somewhat similar level um, as they did last week in order to slow down uh, Jaden Daniels, who is supposed to play, and Eno Benjamin, who... I mean, we know he torched the Beavers last year for 300-plus yeah. yards. So, you know, I, I think it starts on the defensive end um, for Oregon State this week. And then looking ahead to Washington State, that game just completely comes down to the secondary because, I mean, how else do you stop an air raid? Yeah, exactly. And and I think that's, that's a topic for next week, but, you know, Mike Leach has a great running back in, in Borgie, but I don't see him running the ball. I see him still, you know, going air raid, but... Um, ASU, you're right. I, Benjamin's going to be tough, but I like the strides that the Oregon State defense has made in, in run defense. And how about, like, you, talk, you talked a little bit about the secondary and how they stepped up against the Huskies. How about Omar Spates, the true freshman, led the team 18 tackles. That's more than anybody's. I mean, that was a, the biggest single game in tackles of the whole season. Yeah, and it was also the most by a freshman in college football this year, which is pretty remarkable. That and that's, huge. I mean, it's, it's two straight weeks that Spates has been um, yeah, at the top of the, the list for Oregon State and tackles, and you know, he's quickly climbing up the season rankings for the Beavers. So, you know, to have a true freshman come out and, you know, I mean, he's, he's basically secured a starting spot now. Um, you know, for him to be you know, that level of a contributor nine games into his career, I think the future is like insanely bright for him. And, um, you know, the linebacker group obviously is still the strength of Oregon State's defense. And I think uh, he's going to do a lot to keep that um, momentum rolling in the next year. Yeah. And it speaks volumes for, for inside linebacker coach Trent Bray, because we've seen such development this year of Avery Roberts and Omar. Both, I mean, have really improved from game one to where they are now, both night and day different. And then also the improvement we've seen with Doug Tamalau and Shamar uh, Smith. So um, definitely some some great coaching going on there. And I think, you know, just that second year in the system, they've really kind of grasped what's going on and, and have embraced the role. This week also marks Senior Day. So what Coach Smith said, 16 seniors will be walking. Um, this is always a bittersweet day for me, um, being that this is a lot of years of, of covering the team and, you know, these, these kids, you kind of get to know, you get to know their families, you get to know their, their parents and grandparents and um, interviewing them after practice. So I, I can't think of anybody that I'm going to be really sad because sometimes I'm a little, you know, a little, I, I, I'm going to be a total girl here. Sometimes I tear up a little bit when I see a guy, you know, running out of the tunnel for that last time. But 
Um, I think there's a lot of guys that have, I have a ton of respect for, I guess I should say. Um, two that stand out to me right off the bat, uh, Jalen Moore and, and Gus Lavaca, both have been through a lot with the coaching, all these guys with coaching changes and being team leaders and, and sticking with, with the program. How about you? Do you have any seniors that you're going to miss and, and kind of stand out to you? Well, there's 16 of them um, that are going to be recognized. Uh, you know, there's some big names there. I'll, I'll just run through the, the 16 real quick. You have Elu Aiden, Andre Bowden, Blake Brandell, Jordan Shuker, Clay Cordasco, Keegan Firth, Gus Lavaca, Jake Luton, Tommy Miracle, uh, Jalen Moore, Artavis Pierce, Daniel Rodriguez, Aaron Short, Shamar Smith, Noah Tongiai, and Sean Wilson. Uh, how many of those guys have wow. been some of the biggest contributors to this program all throughout their career? I mean, yeah, a guy like... Right. Elu Aiden, Brandell, Lavaca, uh, Pierce, Smith, and Tongiai and Wilson. Think about all of those guys. All those guys. Have been, you know, some of the top players on the team for years, it seems like. Um, so, it, I mean, it, sometimes you, you don't really lose a whole lot of production on these senior days. But I think, you know, this is probably the largest group of guys in recent history that, um, you know, have, have sustained kind of uh, this production over um, the course of their entire career. And I think the Beavers are really going to miss a lot of them. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, AP, fun to have him completely healthy. Shamar Smith is another one that, um, all the way from Miami, he's the first in his family to get a degree. So, you know, huge, huge accomplishments for these guys. Elu Iden, oh my gosh, that guy's been the fan's favorite and the fan's demise here for a while. Um, but he's playing probably his best football that we've seen him play since he's been mm -hmm. here. And so how about, senior day. Uh, how about Noah Tongiai as well? Yeah. He's really, uh, he's yeah. come on um, probably in, within the last, I don't know, six games of this year. Um, and he's really finally, I think, reaching that potential that you know, we've touted and a, a lot of other people have, have pointed to throughout his career. And it's, it's really good to see him bounce back from injuries over the last couple of years. And finally, um, you know, it kind of do what a lot of people expected he would. Yeah, yeah. And then, I mean, Blake Brandell, what is he, a four-year starter? Hasn't I believe so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think Gus so. hasn't missed very many, but um, Gus has sat out a couple. But I think Blake is, I don't think he's missed a game. So um, huge, you know, with these guys. And like I said, looking back at what they've gone through, I mean, these guys were all recruited um, by Gary Anderson, and then they've had – um, Corey Hall is a head coach. Now Jonathan Smith. Some of them have had four or five position coaches. Those DBs have been through the ringer. Uh, um, how about Daniel Rodriguez too? The Beavs are going to totally miss him and his uh, punting because he's he's produced some great punts this year. Well, that's one of those positions that you know doesn't really go um, recognized necessarily until your star is gone. Um, and Rodriguez really has improved throughout the last couple of years and. This year, I think you know, he's arguably the best putter in the conference. Yeah, he's gotten yeah. special teams player of the week multiple times. And so, um, you know, I, I don't know if they'll be able to necessarily replace him right away. And I, I think that's something that um, kind of goes unappreciated sometimes. Yeah. And Kickers and punters, you know, those specialists, they're either unknown because just, they just do their job and, and – they do it well, or if they're not doing it well, then everybody is on them. So it's kind of a tough, tough role to have. And I think we see both of that, both of those things at Oregon State this year, which, you know, 
I give credit to Jordan Shuker too. You know, he's he's taken a lot of flack from from fans and media. You know, we we've been kind of critical of him too, and he stayed the course. And um, you know, I, I I hope the best for him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think people forget a lot of times that these guys are college kids, and um, they go through the same things we have all happened with college. You know, you've done you've. You have midterms and tests and finals and girlfriends and the social aspects. So they have to manage a lot on their plate. And fans don't see that. The fans see what's happening on Saturday. So, no, they've definitely represented Oregon State well during their, their time at, at in Corvallis. So <laughs> we I had somebody reach out and said they actually like it when you and I kind of just kind of go off on a random topic. And seriously, we had Halloween couple weeks ago and and you i know you love your reese's peanut butter cups so i I typically like to bring treats mainly because i don't want to keep treats around my house because then i want to eat them so i've already cleaned out my reese's for you and and skittles are cleaned out so carter i need to ask so press box they don't have cookies anymore like they don't do cookies they do burgers that's that's what we get for pregame meal i need to know what am i supposed to bring this week for, for for press box treats because the skittles haven't been lucky the Reese's haven't been lucky. I don't. I'm at a loss right now. Well, I don't really think anything's been lucky this year because, <laughs> you know, Oregon State just can't win at home. But you know, the cookies that you brought last week, those were. I mean, those were top of the line cookies. Yeah, they weren't even I, my I homemade were, ones. No, I thought they were homemade, and then you said you got them at the store. It was like I know. What? I, these are some of the best snickerdoodles I've ever had. Snickerdoodles. That's like a. That's a fun word to say. I don't know. I my latest little treat that I. Well, A, Trader Joe's is getting all their yummy holiday stuff in. So they're little gingerbread men, like kind of like my weakness. But Costco, I made the mistake of going to Costco. Do you ever go to Costco with your parents, Carter? Oh, yeah. Okay. So I usually do Costco solo because I can get in and I can get out and I can get what I need. Sunday, we decided to make a family trip to Costco. My gosh, Carter, let me tell you. It's It's horrible. Because they all have their own way they want to go. It's not my way. So, of course, I forgot like five things because I'm not a list maker. And they found all kinds of good stuff. And I'm just going to tell you right now, peppermint bark at Costco was on point. Pretty tasty stuff. But I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. But we also have um, ASU final game. I'm coming down a little early. So if you guys have a tailgate that you guys are going to be at, our listeners, shoot a, shoot me a direct message let me know where you guys are going to be carter i can i'm sure i can talk him into coming joining us and uh i'd love to swing by and say hi and shake your hand and um say thank you for listening and, and for being a member of blitz if you are and uh so yeah shoot me a, a dm and let me know where you're going to be or uh, post in the lodge but uh you know what time it is carter it's time for some quick hits didn't have a strong week last week five out of ten no, you were, uh, you were the last killed. couple of weeks, I last couple of weeks, I've been around that seven or eight mark. So I know uh, definitely yeah, a step was... back. But you know, we mentioned it was just really a bizarre, unique kind of game. So I'll chalk that up to just um, getting unlucky. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. I mean, because seriously, I mean, it was it, you, you missed. I mean, like leading score. I mean, who would have thought the leading scorer would have been Jaden Grant? Exactly. Okay, you know, the you know, the, the drill. I'm just going to go through these. You give me your answer, and then we'll we'll touch base again next week. But Jake Luton, will he throw over 300 yards against the Sun Devils? 
Yes, Keaton Slovis nearly did it in one quarter last week, so I think Luton will be able <laughs> to do crazy. it in the entire game. Okay, uh, leading rusher? Jefferson. Leading receiver? Hodgins. Leading scorer? Hodgins. Will Oregon State have over or under two takeaways? Under. I, I just don't trust them enough to... Uh, repeat what they did last week how about sacks will they be over or under two hmm. tough i'll go over um i say i think it's a bounce back game in that category leading tackler it's tough because now i feel like i have to go with spades because he's done it two <laughs> weeks in a row but um you've gone Morris. with roberts two weeks in a row yeah and... roberts or spades let's go Let's go with Spates. I, I'll, okay. I, I, uh, I trust that you can do it again. Um, kicking game, over or under 50%? Over. That's like a give me question now. Uh, score, over, will the Beavers score over th- 35 points? I think this game's going to be won by the team that scores, uh, you know, 35, somewhere in that range. So, um, hmm. I'll go under. Um, but I, I think it'll be close. Okay, this is a big one because last year, like you mentioned earlier, Benjamin like went off. Will Oregon State hold the Sun Devils to under 200 yards rushing? No, I don't think they will. And it's not necessarily all Benjamin, um, just because you know he he kind of really hasn't looked the same this year. Uh, his stats are down a little bit, but Jaden Daniels is you know super mobile, and I think. Um, if he's anywhere near a hundred percent this week, he'll, he'll kind of expose the Beaver defense for a few runs. So I think the two of those combined will, um, get over the 200 yard mark. Awesome. Okay. So typically now is when we jump in and do damn questions, but I, I posted those this morning and I haven't really received any. I think our Twitter fans have kind of been bombarded with the whole news of, um, Isaiah Smalls transferring, but the Lodge at Beaver Blitz, we do a Wednesday chat every week. And I'll, I'm going to, there's a couple here I want to just discuss with you because I mentioned this, uh, D. Andrew 87 kind of just reiterated my point I made and she said back on Monday. And so this is what he says. And I just want your thoughts on this um, because I think it's, it's intriguing. Okay. I'm trying to understand Jonathan Smith and Brian Lindgren's philosophy on quarterback playing time. They have two guys battling right to the end of for the starting job, and finally the senior gets the job. All good, and Luton has earned the starting job. We have a, a few games where the starter is struggling in the second half. Hawaii and UW stand out. The coaches admit they need a spark so that they try trick plays and like fake punts or onside kicks, but they don't want to use the backup quarterback for a spark. What are your thoughts? No, interesting take for sure, and I, I, I kind of agree with it. Um... You know, we, we've seen Smith and his staff kind of err on the side of aggression, um, you know, whether it be on fourth downs or on kickoffs. Um, you know, n- not a whole lot of trick plays, but, you know, there has been you know, there have been some wrinkles that they've thrown in there to kind of get a spark. And it, oftentimes it is in the games where they're behind or when they've gone a quarter without really moving the ball with any um, consistency. And. While I don't think they have to resort to um, a two-quarterback situation in these games where, you know, a a lot of the teams in the Pac-12 have done that, um, 
I think, you know, what do you have to lose by putting Jebbia in there for a drive or two just to see if he can get the ball moving? And, you know, you don't even have to stick with him for the rest of the game, but just put some life in the offense, maybe. Um, you know, we've seen him with his legs pick up a few yards on rollouts and stuff like that. You know, that's just something that Luton can't do. Um, and so while one quarterback might not be any better than the other, they just provide a totally different look that can um, kind of throw the opposing defense for a loop and just give you a, a much different look that um, can provide you with maybe a big play or, um, you know, just something that you can build some momentum off of. So, no, I definitely think that it's something that they should look into, and I'm I'm honestly really surprised that they haven't done it. Yeah, I mean, they're willing to do these fake punts and onside kicks, and um, yeah, I, like I said, I brought this up, and, and she said this week, because it really, and I, I actually, <clears throat> excuse me, I texted you before uh, Jonathan Smith's Monday press conference. You didn't get it in time to ask him, so it's just, especially, you know, Jake's a, a senior, and you're not going to take his starting job away from him, but yeah, give Jebbia some quality quality snaps and, and get them in. I, it, it's an interesting one. Um, another question here for the Beavers ask, which is, is a good one as well. You know, we've seen Oregon state, we were talking about earlier, really going heavy with the, with the JCs and the transfer portal. Does that frustrate guys that have been in the program? And so it's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, does it, does it possibly, but in my opinion, these guys are JCs or they're leaving their current program for a reason, most likely because they're not getting playing time. So it's not like these guys are going to walk in and just automatically be starters. They still have to earn the spot. Competition. I mean, you played sports in high school. Competition. What you know? What is your what is your thought? Well, to answer this question, I think we should start with let's look at the center position right now. Okay, so uh, you've got a guy in Nathan Eldridge who comes in and is expected to be your starter right away, and then he goes down with an injury, and so news. Noose Carabonum, uh steps into that role, and you know he he really excels. Uh, he's been a lot better than people expected. Maybe um, kind of providing some of that production that people expected from Eldridge. Now, Eldridge is healthy again, but he hasn't been able to earn that starting role back, and that, that it goes back to the competition. You know, you, you bring one of these guys in, and you know, he has to earn his spot. And you know, right now, Noose is playing better than. Um, I mean, I don't, say he, I don't want to say he's betting, he's playing better than Eldridge, but he's playing at a level where Eldridge, um, you know, hasn't earned a leg up on him yet. Yeah. Uh, no, so I, 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 I think don't know. I mean, is good. I mean, maybe that's a microcosm of, you know, every position on the roster, but you know, I, I think these guys recognize that the coaches aren't looking to replace them. They're just looking to bolster the depth, create competition, and ultimately make the team better. And as long as these guys care about team goals and winning games um, more than their own stats and egos, it, it shouldn't create a problem. And for the most part, it really hasn't, because I think that's the culture that Smith has developed um, in Corvallis. And I, I think that's something that's you're really unique to Oregon State in this day and age of, of college football where, you know, everybody's, you know, trying to put up flashy numbers and whatnot. You know, Oregon State has this team mentality. And, um, you know, I think that's why they've, they've kind of outperformed expectations this year is because yeah, everybody's yeah. so together, they're all on the same page. 
And granted, I mean, I guess if you're if you're a, a DB, for example, because Oregon State is going heavy on the DBs, the JCDBs. It, it's interesting to read like comments on on social media, on our own in our own community on, on Beaver Blitz, and you know, as fans, fans want to win, right? So do the players. Everybody wants to win, and I guess you never want to see guys leave. But if they're not getting the minutes and they're being replaced by guys that are maybe a step up talent wise, isn't that a good thing? I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah, it's it's funny. I think everybody wants to keep everybody, but they also want to, you know, get better. So it's it's interesting. So I, I don't think we're done with the transfer portal. Both sides. I, I see Oregon State going, you know, continuing to, to recruit guys. Um, there was one question on um, a, a damn question, and it was about the three junior call or um, transfer portal visitors from this past weekend. So Jack Sears, the quarterback from USC, Theo Howard, wide receiver from UCLA, and then kicker Brandon Ruiz from ASU were all on campus um, on official visits last week. Those guys are all super quiet. Um, They're not talking with the media, any media, but um, from things I have gleaned from people I've spoken with, the visits went well for all three, but they're also taking their time and, and checking out all their options. So, you know, that's what you have to do when you're a transfer. You don't, you can't afford to make a second mistake and commit somewhere that's not going to work. So um, they have to be patient and find the right fit. So um, from what I've heard, though, the visits went well, and uh, those guys are still kind of deciding what they want to do. But that's, you know, something to definitely keep an eye on. Um, and then junior college, like I said, there's, gosh, three Juco, Juco uh, DBs really watching in uh, Rajon Wright and um, Ja'Cory Godfrey, and then Justin Harrington. So those three are, like, are the top three. Probably if I had to pick three commits for the Beavs. And then, um, you know, offensive line, they're going to be looking for two tackles here shortly because um, it's looking like Sam Peacock may be uh, flipping to Washington um, as he has picked up a Washington offer, and that's the hometown school, which – if so, if he does end up flipping to Washington, that will be the first flip for a Jonathan Smith signee commit. So that's pretty remarkable when you uh, when you break it all down. That's pretty astonishing, especially you know nowadays with you know I, I don't want to say kids necessarily have commitment issues, but I feel like we see a lot more flipping um, just in commitments in general um, now, and that's something that Smith has been you know, really adamant about is, um, you know, maintaining these relationships with players. You, know, you see them go after a lot of younger guys, um, you know, kind of targeting these these sophomores, juniors in high school and building these relationships early. And I think that's kind of gone a long ways for them so far in um, holding on to recruits and really having them buy into what Oregon State's building. And, um, you know, it, it hasn't been an issue for Oregon State losing losing these uh, commits. So uh, yeah, give, I mean, give credit huge. to the staff. It's, it's huge for, especially a program like Oregon state, because I mean, you see guys flipping at the, at the higher, you know, level schools, the USC's, the Florida's, the Alabama's of the world, um, or flipping to them when they pick up an offer from those, those schools. But, um, you know, a lot of times guys, Oregon state will get a guy committed. And then some of these other programs, the bigger name schools will slow play them and kind of wait to see if they have, have spots available. And, and like you said, Jonathan Smith and his staff have done a super job of really getting these guys bought in early. And, and even when the 
maybe bigger name, more prestigious school comes along, um, these guys are 100% bought in to, you know, Oregon State. It, it happened last year. Luke Musgrave was one. Corey Stover was one, um, where guys were coming in late, right there in December. Big names, you know, you had UCLA coming in on, and Oregon coming in with Musgrave, and and he stood his ground and said, no, I'm a beaver. So um, huge, huge accomplishment. But every once in a while, you know, you're going to lose lose one. So um, if that happens, that's just something to kind of be on the watch out for. Um, but I wouldn't be shocked to see that happen. Anything else, Carter, before uh, we get ready for ASU? No, I think that kind of covers it. You know, we hit on all of the sports, senior day. Um, no, it's it's a busy time at Oregon State for sports, and uh, it, I think it's a really exciting time to be a Beaver fan, and I think a lot of these programs are heading in the right direction. So, Yeah, it's, no. it's been – I mean, gosh, if you're not at Beaver Blitz, make sure you go check it out because a lot of our, our content – a lot of it is behind a paywall and the lodge is behind the paywall, but we have a lot of content that we put out every single day that is open to all fans to read. So um, definitely something to go check out. Um, Carter's doing an amazing job covering, you know, gosh, he's doing double duty right now with basketball and football, but um, busy, busy time. We have the last few games here and then my focus kind of shifts. Carter's will shift to basketball and uh, my focus shifts toward uh signing day and and the recruiting so we always have a big blowout coverage for that uh, December signing day it's super fun get to know the players and um, and then it kind of trans it goes right into January and the finalized recruiting class and, and all of that so stick with Beaver Blitz stick with Carter and uh, yes thanks for sticking with me as well um, stick stay tuned and we'll be back next week for another episode of the damn podcast <laughs>